So if you're new with us, last week we started a sermon series that we're calling, I Want to Believe, But, and it really is important to me because I think there are just so many people that can't quite like pull the trigger. They just can't quite fully commit to Jesus because something that they believe about God makes it hard for them to believe in God. And the thing that I've noticed is that a lot of times that thing that's holding them back is that they're talking about the wrong God. This, this God that they're having trouble believing in isn't the God of the Bible. They're not rejecting the real God at all. They're rejecting a distorted view, a false image of who God is. And so imagine this, if you're inviting your neighbor to church and you say to your neighbor, hey, you should come to church with me. Oh, it's the greatest church. We've got this wonderful music and incredible kids programs and the people are super nice. And the pastor loves to take puppies down to the river and put them in a bag and drown them. <laughs> Any sane person that you're talking to is gonna say, well, I don't want anything to do with that church. If their church, their pastor's down there drowning puppies, I don't want anything to do with that church. But here's the thing, that's not me. That's a false image of me. You're rejecting a false me. I, 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 don't, I love puppies. I don't wanna drown puppies, I wanna drown kittens. So that's a, that's a false, I don't wanna drown kittens. Just keep your emails. Uh, but if I had to choose. Uh, I, don't, I don't wanna drown anything. Um, here's, here's the point. If you reject CBCB because their pastor wants to drown puppies, you're not rejecting CBCB. You're not rejecting me. You're rejecting a false image. You're rejecting a distorted view of who I am and who this church is. And similarly, some people think that they're rejecting the God of the Bible. But what they're really rejecting is the wrong version. It's, it's a false image. It's a distorted view of God and the Bible. And so today we're gonna to look at one of these distorted views that a lot of people have. It's a really popular one. A lot of people view Christianity through this lens and they see God as the killjoy God, right? You've, you've, you've probably heard this. You may have thought this. Oh, he hates fun. You know, he just wants us to be miserable. He wants our lives to be boring. And all he cares about is rules. And all the Bible is, is a list of do's and don'ts, and don'ts and do's. And the don'ts are all the stuff that we wanna do. And the do is all the stuff that nobody wants to do. It's all do's and don'ts, and don'ts and do's. And Killjoy God says, if you do all the do's and you don't do any of the don'ts, then you do go to heaven. But if you do too many don'ts and you don't do enough do's, then you don't. That was pretty good. <laughs> I don't know about you, I'm impressed getting through that. But in, in this view of God, it's like that's fine with killjoy God because that's what he wants anyway, right? He just wants to overwhelm us with all these do's and all these don'ts and just suck all the fun out of our life. And then when we can't keep all the rules, then he just laughs as he hits the down button and we spend forever burning with all the other people who did too many don'ts and didn't do enough do's because the killjoy God is all about do's and he's all about don'ts. And I just wanna tell you today that that's doo-doo. <laughs> that, that is not the God of the Bible. That is, that is not Jesus. That is not Christianity. Our God is not killjoy God. 
Christianity is not the religion of rule keeping. And actually, if you look at the Bible, you're gonna see that God has never been big on keeping rules as a way to access him or as a way to, to get in good with him or make friends with him or something. Think about the very first story in the Bible in the Garden of Eden, right? God created this place just for a relationship, right? He perfectly created this environment where he could have a relationship with mankind. Now, I ask you to think about what we think Eden looked like. Was, it a, was, it a, was God a killjoy God then? Did he put him in like a really boring place? Did he put him in an empty room with, you know, dirt floors and one wood chair and no air conditioning and just tell them just to sit there with their hands in their laps? No, he, he, he put him in paradise, right? He surrounded him with, with beautiful plants and flowers and beaches and waterfalls and sweet, juicy fruit was hanging everywhere. Every imaginable pleasure where he put them was a place that sounds like places that we pay money to go to for vacation just for the sake of having fun. Adam and Eve were just like swimming, climbing trees, and jumping into the water, and, and jumping off of waterfalls. And there was, listen, it was a young, healthy, naked man with a young, healthy, naked woman. Yes, I will. Yes, I will. So this image, oh, you know, Christians are just a bunch of prudes, you know. Oh, God hates sex. God, let me tell you something. God invented sex, okay? It was his idea. Okay, are we, can we agree to that? God invented sex. It was his idea. And he, when he was inventing it, he could have made it any way he wanted to, right? And he chose to make it fun. He chose to make it exciting. God could have, could have made sex like eating spinach, right? It's no fun, but it's a necessary evil if the species is gonna continue. Uh, just a quick show of hands. <laughs> Married people, how many of you would agree Sex is not like eating spinach. Okay. Everybody, how many of you agree this illustration has probably run its course and it's time to just, thank you. I'll be talking to Margaret about that one today, won't I? Okay, let's get on track. Listen, uh, here's a question for you. In, in the garden, right, God created a perfect environment for him to have a perfect relationship with people. How many rules were there? One. One rule, what was the rule? Yeah, stay away from the tree of the, of the knowledge of good and evil. And what, what was that rule about? I mean, was that, you can eat the red apple but not the green apple, you know, a pear but not an apple? Or, what that rule was about was about the knowledge of good and evil. What that tree was about was man trusting God. That rule was about trusting God's definition of good and evil and depending on God and believing in him and trusting that God's ways are good instead of man demanding the right to create his own morality. He only gave him one rule. What God didn't want was to have millions of rules that they'd never be able to keep and then when they didn't keep them, they would feel guilty and they'd be embarrassed and they would hide from him and they'd be scared of him. So he gave them one rule. How did they do? 
right? They're terrible, they one rule and they couldn't keep it. When God led his chosen people across the wilderness, right? When he rescued them from Egypt and he led them across, he had to give them some rules about how to live and all that stuff. We're going into the promised land, millions of people walking across the wilderness. How many commandments did he give them? Let me, th- let me preface this first of all. Do you know how many laws we have in the United States? You know why you don't know the answer to that? Nobody knows the answer to that. There are tens of thousands of laws in the United States, right? Now here's God taking his people, the holy people, separated, different than everybody else. How many commandments did he give them? He gives them 10 commandments. How'd they do keeping those 10? Right, terrible, terrible. Before they even got the written version of the rules, he had already broken the first two. The first two commandments were don't have any other gods before me and don't create idols. What happens? Before they even get them in writing, they've already broken the rules that they promised that they would keep. They, they couldn't keep one. They couldn't keep 10. God finally gave them more. He's trying anything, right? He'll give them 600 laws in the Old Testament. And here's a good question. Why did God give them laws at all? Why would he give them rules at all? Why not just let them be a free-for-all, do whatever they want? Why would God have any rules of any kind? And there's a couple of reasons. And one is, he wanted to bless them with the best possible life. And he knows what it takes to have the best possible life. But the other thing is that God wanted his people to be holy. And this is a really cool word. It, it, it doesn't just mean good or something. Holy means different, right? Holy means set apart. So we talk about God being a holy God, that means there's nothing else like God. He's holy, he's completely different than anything else in the universe. And when he wanted his people to be holy, he wanted them to be different than the rest of the world. He wanted people to see them different. He wanted people to see, wow, those people are happy. Wow, those people are blessed. Wow, those people are different. What do they have that I don't, that was the plan, that God was gonna rescue the whole world through Israel. That's what he told Abraham, right? I'm gonna bless the whole world through your family. That was the plan, was that the whole world would see how blessed and happy and amazing these people's lives were, and then they would come to God through them. So now they're up to 613 laws as they're going across the wilderness. How'd they do? Right, terrible. They, they couldn't do one, they couldn't do 10, they didn't, couldn't do 613. They never even kept the first one for very long, but the problem wasn't the number of laws. And the problem wasn't even that they didn't keep every one of the laws. The problem was the hardness of their heart. That's what the problem was. It was this hardness of their heart. They didn't want a relationship with God. They didn't want a relationship with God as much as they wanted to do things their own way. Just like Adam and Eve, yeah, we want a relationship with God, but even more than that, we want to decide what's right and wrong. That was a problem, it was a hardness of their heart. They didn't, they didn't trust him enough, right? They didn't believe in him enough to follow his instructions. They didn't believe that he knew what was best for them, or they didn't believe that he wanted what was best for them, so they rebelled against the law. They rebelled against God. That was the problem. It wasn't the rules. It was the hardness of their hearts. So to attack that problem, God didn't just change the rules again. He sent Jesus to change people's hearts. And when Jesus was here, the Pharisees were around, right? And the Pharisees were like, you know, religious big shots. They were really important religious people. And they loved the laws, man. They were all about the rules. They didn't think 613 was enough, so they made up some of their own rules. And one day they tried to trap Jesus. You may remember this story. It's in Matthew 22. They went up to Jesus and they said, look, we got 600 laws, plus we've added a couple of cool ones. So just tell us, which is the most important rule of all? Which is the most important law? Here's what Jesus said, Matthew 22:37. 37. 
He says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And a second one is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Look what he says here. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So Jesus is saying, you know, we don't need 613. In fact, if your heart is right, we don't even need 10. All the law that matters are wrapped up in these two simple rules. Love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus simplified the law from 613 down to two, but he didn't just simplify the law. He didn't just change the law. He offered to change hard hearts. Jesus offered to change people from the inside out so that they could trust God, so that they could believe in God, so that they could love God and trust him so completely that they would be obedient to those two rules. That's, that's the God of the Bible, right? The, the heart, that's what God's about. He's about what's on, the, what's on the inside. Now this fake religion that I'm talking about, this religion of kill joy God, the religion of rule keeping, that religion is all about the external. Right, that's all about the stuff that people see and all the stuff that people judge us by. You know, well, I, you know, I keep all the rules. I go to church every week. I'm super holy. I give 11% instead of 10 because 10's not quite holy enough for me. And you know, I haven't cussed for 13 days now. And I don't drink and I don't chew. I don't go out with girls that do. Right? I, 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 I that's me. I keep the rules, and because I keep the rules, God is going to let me into heaven because I'm a rule keeper. And I'm telling you, that religion, that religion is nothing but rules. And that God, killjoy God, is mean. And he's calling people to a life that's boring and miserable and no fun and fake. That God, that religion is all about the external. And if you reject that God, you you're not rejecting the God of the Bible. If you reject that God, you're in good company. I reject that God. And more importantly, you know who else rejected that God? The God that only goes by the rules and the external and the things that people see. You know who rejected that God? Jesus. Look what he says to the Pharisees. This is Matthew 23, 25. He says, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, because you're careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're filthy full of greed and self-indulgence, you blind Pharisees. First wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. He's saying to the Pharisees, yeah, you keep all the rules, but it hasn't changed your heart. You, this isn't gonna work by you cleaning up and polishing up your act on the outside and hoping that that works its way in. It's not gonna work because the inside is still dirty. And Jesus is saying that is not how you get by polishing your act up, right? By appearing more holy, by doing more good stuff. That is not how you get to God. That is not Christianity. That is not what the Bible teaches. The story of the Bible is about a God that wants a relationship with his people. And he loves them. And, and he wants them to love him back. And he wants them to trust him and depend on him completely. And he tried to get there with one law. And he tried to get there with 10 laws. And he tried to get there with 613 laws. But then when people's hearts were just so hard that they couldn't keep his laws, when people just kept rebelling against him, instead of, you know, pushing the down button and just burning the whole thing down, God sent Jesus to fulfill the law, to be the perfect person that we couldn't be, 
and to change our hearts. And then when our hearts are changed, we start to fully trust God and, and, and we start to trust his ways and we start to trust that he knows what's best instead of trying to create our own versions of what's right and what's wrong. And when our hearts are changed, we want to obey him, right? When our hearts are really changed, we want to please God, not, not so that he will love us, but just out of gratitude because he loves us. And there aren't a million joy-sucking laws for us to keep. There's, there's two. Love God. Really love God. Really love people. So, see, that's, that's nothing like killjoy God and the religion of rule-keeping. In fact, I'm gonna show you a side-by-side comparison. Okay, this is these two different gods and these two different religions. It's completely different, so let's put them up there. On the left, we have killjoy God, and on the right, we're gonna talk about true God. So killjoy God says that life should be boring and no fun at all, that we should just keep the rules, don't do the don'ts, do all the do's, be sure you keep track, be sure you keep score of yours, be sure you keep score of everybody else's so that we can now grade each other on how good that we're doing. It's all about striving to keep every rule and worrying that we're not keeping enough and then feeling ashamed and embarrassed when we don't keep. That's, that's killjoy God and the religion of rule keeping. But Jesus said that he came to give us life. He came to give us a certain kind of life. Though. Remember what he called it? Rich, satisfying. Here's the word King James people. Abundant life, right? He came to give us not just a regular life, not a boring, dull life. He came to give us a life of meaning and passion. He came to give us a life that's fun and exciting and matters. So there's, there's it's two completely different lives that we're being called to. Killjoy God says life should be boring and no fun, and we should just be keeping these rules. And Killjoy God says to, for us to do something that's really impossible, I mean, this religion of killjoy God that we gotta keep every single rule. How many of you have succeeded with that so far? Right, it's not gonna happen. The Bible says that every one of us falls short. Every one of us, so if that's true, then what he's asking us to do, killjoy God wants us to be perfect and keep every rule perfectly, it's not gonna work out. It's impossible for us to live that life. So we're gonna spend our whole life trying to do something that we are never gonna be able to do. Whereas Jesus, it's not impossible. With Jesus, with the true God, it's natural. This is just, this is what happens because he's changing us from the inside out, right? He's changing who we really are. So with killjoy God, our default position is we're bad on the inside, but we are polishing like crazy on the outside, right? Well, Jesus says, well, let's don't have the default position being broken. Let's change your default position so that now your default position is a new creation in him, according to 2 Corinthians 5, 17. That's your, how many of you are Christians? This is now your default position. This is who you are on the inside. Now, we may have some work to do to clean up some stuff so that the outside matches the inside. Jesus is working on that. But your default position is that you're a new creation. The inside of you is, so it's not this impossible job of trying so hard to scrub up the outside. It's just the natural thing that happens when the inside is right. The outside, sooner or later, starts to match. This life with killjoy God is not only impossible, it is exhausting and it is frustrating. And I know you've had this feeling, man, the harder I try, the worse I get. And that's what Paul says, right, in Romans 8. I try to do what's good, I just keep doing what's bad. I try to stop doing what's bad, I just do it more. Anybody ever had that feeling? It's like, I'm trying, I'm trying, I just can't seem to get there. And the reason you can't seem to get there is because you can't get there. 
you're never gonna get there. It's, it's impossible, but with Jesus, his life is easy. His life is light. In Matthew 11:30, he says, his yoke, his, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. It's, it's all about trusting him and not performing for him. That's a lot easier job, right? It's a lot happier life to trust Jesus than it is to try to impress Jesus. How many of you know you're not gonna impress Jesus with your behavior? Right? It's not gonna happen. Okay, the last thing that I think, the worst thing maybe about killjoy God is that, that that whole religion is all about having a fear of God. If I don't do enough good, too many don'ts, not enough do's, now God's gonna be mad at me. Now he's gonna push the down button, right? Now God's gonna hate me. Now I'm gonna be, God's gonna come. That's what Adam and Eve, remember what they did? The first thing they did where they hid from God, right? They start covering themselves up so God can't find them. It's all because they were scared of him. That is, does that sound like rich, satisfying life to you? Being afraid of God? Being afraid of God? Is that abundant life? It's, I'll tell you a story about this. So you've probably heard me tell this story before. My grandmother um, was absolutely the most disciplined human being, not that I've ever known, that's ever existed, okay? She wanted so desperately to please God. I mean, she went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, every single week for more than 90 years. I mean, when she was too sick to get to church and couldn't drive, somebody from her church would come pick her up because she was pretty sure she'd go to hell if she missed a Wednesday night, right? She, she lived her whole life on a farm or an oil derrick, and she never wore a pair of pants. You know why? Because Christian women wear dresses and girdles, right? She's, she's on a tractor wearing a dress because that's what Christian women do, right? She added a few of her own rules too, kind of like the Pharisees. She, had, she kept every rule. I'm telling you, I, I admire the discipline. I admire that she worked so hard to please God. She would do anything to please, she would do anything to please God. And every single day for 90 years she did that. And when she was about to die, she was in this hospice hospital. And so I'm in there with her and I was talking to her and she's, you know, she's, she's fixing to die. And I said to her, you know, it's almost over. And pretty soon, you're gonna get your reward. And all of the stuff that you've done and all the hard work that you've done is just gonna be a crown that you can lay at the feet of Jesus. Pretty soon, there's gonna be no more pain, and no more confusion, no more frustration, no more fear. Pretty soon, you're gonna be with Jesus and everything's gonna be amazing. The last word she said to me, she said, I hope so. She was scared. She's scared to die. For 90 years, she never cussed. For 90 years, she never tasted a drink of alcohol. For 90 years, she never missed a church service. For 90 years, she wore that stupid dress on a tractor. She was trying so hard to please God. And now, here she is. This should have been the greatest moment of her existence. And instead, she was afraid of God. That broke my heart. And I would suggest to you that that broke God's heart. Because the true God of the Bible, there, there's no fear of God in Christians. There's no fear of God. We have confidence in God, right? We're not 
earning salvation. He's saving us. I don't, I don't, I don't have to worry about my performance because we're not keeping score. The only thing that matters is his love for me, and I am pretty sure that's enough. I don't have any fear of God because I have complete confidence in God. Look what Romans 8.15 says. You haven't received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Oh, well, if I don't do good enough, I'm gonna get whipped. If I don't do good enough, I'm gonna get killed. If I don't do good enough, I'm gonna get sold off. Instead, you receive God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. We've gone from slaves trying to earn our way to his children. The God of the Bible offers a real relationship with God through Jesus, not through you following the rules, not through you doing the do's and avoiding the don'ts, by you being adopted by God as his children. And you don't have to die like my grandmother, afraid of God. And you don't have to live like so many people in fear of God, that maybe I haven't done enough, or maybe I've done too many wrong things, maybe God's mad at me, you know, maybe, maybe there's, the, instead, you can live in confidence, you can live in peace, you don't have to go to bed every night counting all the mistakes that you made that day and wondering if one of those was the one that pushed you over the edge and got you kicked out of the family. First John 5.13 says, I have written this to you who believe, how many of you believe? Okay, so this is for you. I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. Not, not, not hope that you have eternal life. Not be scared that maybe you don't have eternal life. Not wonder if you've kept enough rules to have eternal life. If you believe in Jesus, you can know right now for sure that you have a relationship with God. That anything that you do do, you do, do wrong is gonna be forgiven before you even finish doing it. That God's already seen your future mistakes and he's already forgiven those future mistakes. He accepts you right now as you are. Your salvation has nothing to do with your performance. It only has to do with his love. I'll tell you this, there is, there's one guy in the New Testament that I know for sure is in heaven. And there's, like I'm, I think Andrew's in. Don't you? Paul, come on, Paul's in, right? Probably. I think Paul's in. Peter, Peter's iffy. Peter's in, Peter's in. Um, John called himself the disciple that Jesus loved. He's in, right? But let's say the one person that I know for sure is in heaven right now. And it's the guy that was crucified next to Jesus. Because Jesus said so. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise, right? Let's consider the do's and don'ts of this guy's life, right? We don't know anything about him except, one, he was getting the death penalty. So probably had some don'ts going on in his life. Right? And number two, he didn't have time to do any good do's after that. Right? He called out on Jesus, save me. Remember me. Help me. And Jesus said, okay, you're in. And then he died. He didn't get baptized. Right? He didn't go out and help an old lady across the street. He didn't stop smoking. Right? He didn't, he didn't do anything. He didn't give money to the church. Nothing wrong with that. But he didn't give money to the church. He didn't do anything. All he did was call on, and I know for sure he's in heaven. I'm surer that he's in heaven than I'm sure that Paul's in heaven because Jesus said so. So obviously, doing the do's and don'ting the don'ts is not the answer. Here's the answer. The God of the Bible is not killjoy God, sitting anxiously with his finger on the down button, right, just hoping 
that you break one more rule so he can send you to hell. That is not what the Bible says. That is not what Christianity is. That is not who God is. God does not want you to fail. And he doesn't want you to be miserable. He wants a relationship with you. And he wants it so badly that he changed the rules over and over and over. And when it came down to changing hearts, finally he just sent Jesus to make it possible. And he wants you to have the highest, best, richest, most satisfying, most abundant life possible. And he wants that life to last forever. And bad news for you people that are trying to earn it, you are not gonna get there. You are not gonna get there. Romans 3.20 says, no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. Sorry, you can't. The law just shows us how sinful we are. But look what it says, verse 21. But now God's shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, just like it was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. Here it comes. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who they are. This is how, this is how salvation comes, right? This is how we're made right with God. We wanna spend eternity with him in heaven. This is how it happens. By, what does it say? It's pretty clear. By placing our faith in Christ Jesus. So what does that look like? What does it mean, I'm gonna put my faith in him, right? We have all these little words that we say, oh, he's gonna live in my heart. We have all these words. What does it mean? What does it mean? I'm gonna place my faith in Jesus. It means two things. Romans 10, 9, here's a verse we always talk about, right? It says, if you say with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. So let's talk about those two things. If you, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, if you trust him to save you, that means you don't have to worry so much about what you do and now you can just be thankful for what he did, right? I'm just gonna trust Jesus. I've told you guys this a million times. When I get into, when I'm waiting in line for judgment, and everybody's like on their phone waiting for them to call their number or whatever, right? And they got that number, I don't know if you know this, but they have a number up there and it's like now serving number 6,350,000, whatever, right? So as I'm waiting for my thing, there's gonna be some people on that line that are freaking out, right? Because they're waiting for Killjoy God. And they're gonna be so disappointed when he's not there, right? Killjoy God's not gonna be there. Those people are gonna be nervously thinking, oh my gosh, what am I gonna say? I know he's gonna ask me about that thing I did. What am I gonna say about that? What am I gonna say about that thing I thought? What am I gonna tell him about that thing that I said? What am I gonna say when I get up there and he starts asking me questions about all this hard stuff? You know what my answer is gonna be? I'm gonna stand up before God and here comes Satan with his bony little finger, right? What about that time you did this? What about that time you said that? What about that time you thought that? And I'm gonna say, you know what? I'm with Jesus. That's it. And then I get to skip the line, right? And nothing to do with my behavior. I believe in him as my savior. That's what it means, I have full faith in him. And he's not gonna say, who are you? Right? He's gonna say, yeah, he's with me, come on in. That's my faith. That's believing in him as your savior. Now the second part is really weird, right? Believing in him, calling him Lord. What does that even mean, right? And calling him Lord. And what that means is I believe in him so fully and so completely that I don't just see him as my get out of hell free card. Right? I, I believe in him so much that I'm just gonna go where he tells me to go and I'm gonna do what he tells me to do and I'm gonna live and think and talk and act and breathe like he tells me to because I believe that he knows what's best for me. That's it. I believe in him as my savior. I trust him to save me and get me into heaven and I believe in him as my Lord. I'm gonna let him do the changing. I'm gonna let him work on me and change me. So now here's the question. As a Christian, are there gonna be some rules? 
Are there going to be some, some, some commandments? Are there going to be some instructions? Yeah. Yeah. God wants the highest, best, richest, most satisfying, most abundant life for you, and he knows how to get you there. So he's not going to, he loves you too much to not tell you how to have a rich, satisfying, abundant life. Plus, he wants you to be a holy witness, just like his people Israel. He wants the whole world to look at you and say, man, give me some of that, man. I want that blessed life. I want that life of peace. I want what they've got. He wants you to be a holy witness to the world around you. Plus, he wants you to become like Jesus. He wants us to finally get around to becoming the perfect man that we could never be on our own. So yeah, there's, there's gonna be some instructions on how to live. Um, the beauty of it is, there aren't 613, right? It's not about how you cut your sideburns or whether you eat shellfish, right? It's not gonna be whether or not we eat bacon, praise Jesus, <laughs> right? It's just two, it's just two. Really love God, really love people. And you know what's even more beautiful than that is you don't have to do it on your own strength. Because some people will say, well, you know, what's going to happen when I, when I just can't love God? I just can't right now. I'm so mad at what happened in my life. I'm so mad at how he's, he's, he's allowed these evil things to come on. I just, I can't love him right now. Or you know what? I don't want to love my neighbor as myself. I don't, I don't like them, and I don't want to love them. What am I going to do when I can't love God or I can't love people or I just don't want to? love God or love people. Here's your answer, Philippians 2.13. It's not about you working for him. God is working in you. And he's giving you both. He's giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So when you say, I don't, I don't want to love my neighbor, he's going to help you want to love your neighbor. And when you say, I just can't, right? I'm not able, he's going to give you the power. He's going to give you the desire and the power to do the things that please him. So, yeah, that's putting your faith in Jesus. And now, preaching to the choir, right? Here we are Sunday morning, and I'm telling Christians how to be saved. But there might be one person here that would say, you know what? I've been doing it wrong. Dude, I've been, I've been trying to get in good with killjoy God. I've been trying to keep so many rules that he has no choice but to let me into heaven. I've been polishing up the outside instead of trusting him to change me from the inside out. And today I'm ready to go the other way. I'm ready to get away from killjoy God and the religion of rule keeping and start worshiping the true God, the God of the Bible. And if that's you today, man, we just told you what it is. You make him your savior, you make him your Lord. If you're ready to do that right now, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. It's gonna take about two seconds. I'm gonna ask all the believers in the room just to say this prayer with me. If you are ready to really begin a life where he is doing the work in you and through you instead of you trying to earn it from him, then just pray like this. Just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I'm sorry. But today I become a Christian. I believe in you as my risen savior. And I'm asking you to be my Lord. So fill me with your spirit. Teach me from your word. Help me to live your way for the rest of my life. Thank you for my salvation. Amen.
being in your presence, and thank you so much for loving us. And I just thank you because you're not killjoy, God, and that you're just waiting to send us to hell. You're a God that loves us. You're not a God of rule keeping. You're a God of grace and forgiveness and peace, and that we don't have to live our lives in fear of you. We can just trust you for our salvation. So Lord, as we go out of here today, I just pray that you'll remind us every single day that we do what you ask us to do because you love us and not so that you will love us. Remember of your grace. Remember, remind us of your, of your mercy and your kindness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.